Welcome to In That Case. My name is Joel Townsend and this is my podcast about public interest litigation which has shaped Australian life. You can find previous episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts and also on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com and you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at TownsendJoelC and there or in the comment section on the website or in the comment section on Apple Podcasts, I'd be really happy to hear your feedback, ideas for future episodes, anything you wanted to pass on. So I want to talk today about a case from the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, called the Catch the Fire Ministries case. And I'm talking today not to a litigant, not to a lawyer, but to a witness in this piece of litigation, and a witness who didn't necessarily know exactly what to expect going into the litigation. I think it's a really interesting conversation that I've had with Father Patrick McInerney, who was an expert witness in this case. So in March 2002, an organisation called Catch the Fire Ministries, which is a or was a fundamentalist Christian group, held a seminar in suburban Melbourne about Islam. And it's fair to say that there was some fairly sweeping and fairly passionate and to some people of the Islamic faith, uh, pretty offensive rhetoric used at that seminar. There was rhetoric particularly which drew a connection between Islam and jihad. And this was at a time, of course, uh, when the Western world was still being rocked by, and indeed the whole world was being rocked by the aftermath of and the implications of the September 11 attacks in New York. So this was a very controversial uh, seminar and following the seminar at which a number of um, Muslim people attended, uh, the Islamic Council of Victoria brought an action against Catch the Fire Ministries and the others involved in running the seminar under the Racial and Religious Tolerance Act, which was legislation passed in Victoria in 2001. And that legislation set out that a person was not to, on the basis of religious belief or activity of another person, engage in conduct that incited hatred against that other person. The Islamic Council said that this seminar had the effect of inciting hatred on the basis of uh, religious belief against people of the Islamic faith. There was a very extensive, a lengthy hearing before the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal at the end of which Judge Higgins found that the Catch the Fire Ministries group had indeed engaged in religious vilification. There's a really complex factual background and there are controversies. I'm sure there are still people who are very passionate about some of the detail of what went on at the seminar and I'm not going to get into that in any detail today but suffice to say it was a really hard-fought piece of litigation Uh, As I say, it ran for a number of days and 
Father Patrick McInerney was called on behalf of the Islamic Council to give evidence because he is an expert on Islam. So I started by talking to Father McInerney a little about his background and what brought him uh, to involvement in the case. I'm a Columban missionary priest. It's a Catholic missionary organization. Um, so I was ordained in 1978 and assigned to Pakistan, which is a 96% Muslim majority country. So one of our concerns and interests in going to Pakistan in serving the Christian community there was also to see how we could build relations with the Muslim community. Uh, so part of that, of course, was getting to know Islam. Uh, and so for that reason, I was asked to go to Rome to do studies in Arabic and Islamics at the Pontifical uh, Institute there. It's the Pontifical Institute for the Study of Arabic and Islamics, uh, PISI. Uh, which shows the level of the Catholic Church's commitment to interfaith relations, that there actually is a pontifical institute in Rome for the study of Islam to prepare Christians who are living and working in Muslim countries and prepare people for interfaith relations with Muslims in other countries around the world. That's how I became involved. Was it the Islamic Council of Victoria which, which made contact with you about that case? Yes, it was the Islamic Council of Victoria who contacted me. I had been doing some studies in Melbourne and had met uh, some of the people involved. One of them actually spoke to me about it and had my contact details. And then the uh, following year, it must have been 2003, I think, uh, contacted me and asked me could I assist them at all in this matter. And so then it was a process of you having to prepare a witness statement, so presumably review the um, the Catch the Fire Ministries seminar and materials and, and make your own assessment of those. I imagine that must have been quite a time-consuming process. Uh, yes, I was provided with a transcript of the event uh, out of which the complaint arose and... Uh, Yes, I was asked to prepare a a, uh, a witness statement um, in relation to that uh, transcript. So, uh, yes, I did it as, as best I could. Father McInerney spoke to me a bit about what he brought to the case in terms of the content of its evidence, but also a little about what he'd expected going into the case and how surprised he was by the way in which the case was run by the respondents. You came down to Melbourne to give evidence. Had you, prior to that, had to give evidence in any court proceedings? No, this is the first time I had appeared in court uh, and I was appearing in the capacity of what they call an expert witness. And so this was uh, very much a new exercise um, for you. And it looks from the decision as though you were cross-examined quite extensively over 
uh, was it over a number of a number of days that you were that you were cross-examined? I was cross-examined for two days in court in the tribunal in Melbourne, and uh, the proceedings still hadn't completed, so I had to return to Sydney and continue my work. Uh, so a further morning was uh, continued uh, with cross-examination by telephone. Uh, so it was basically two and a half days. And had you anticipated that it would be um, quite so extensive as that? I had no idea that it would be as extensive as, as that. Uh, nor did I have any... Uh, sense of what would be the process involved. I just thought I would be presenting my statement and that would sort of be the end of it. But I was, uh, to put it mildly, rigorously cross-examined um, and not only just on my statement, but of course on my credibility as a, as a witness. Um, so I found it uh, quite a... Uh, a rigorous and exhausting process. But in the end, I think there was no question that the tribunal um, accepted that you had the requisite expertise to, to comment. Mm. Of course, I have qualifications. I've, I've uh, had completed tertiary level studies in uh, an institute in Rome, which is the equivalent of doing a master's uh, in, in the subject of of uh, Arabic and Islamics, and I'd lived in a, a Muslim-majority country, so I have both lived experience and I have academic credentials. Your fundamental point was that you didn't think the, the seminar gave a true, accurate and representative view of Islam. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. Uh, of course, there are incidents of violence, uh, committed purportedly in the name of Islam, but they are actually in uh, contradiction of explicit Quranic texts and of established Islamic practice. So that was my, if you like, is my basic point. And it's just uh, very obvious to anyone who um, has done any study in this field at all that those sorts of incidents do not represent the vast majority of Muslims. So to be presenting Islam almost exclusively in those terms is very misrepresentative. Yes, and I presume that you would have been, uh, I don't know when you, when you finished um, uh, your stint in, in Pakistan, but I know you've been back there very frequently, so you would have seen the, the, the struggles in that country with um, some extremist groups. So you have a very, I imagine, a very clear-eyed view of, of the reality of that experience in Pakistan. Of course. And uh, it's not only Pakistan. There are other countries around the world where there is conflict. Uh, and the conflict is often painted as being Christian-Muslim. But it's almost always it's economic or social or political. Uh, that will be true, for example, in Nigeria. Um, and interestingly, it seems that climate change is having an impact there because climate change is changing the uh, 
the productivity of the land and those who were used to um, herding cattle are having to bring them down into what was more farming territory. So you actually have conflict between herders and farmers. And, of course, it's presented as a conflict between Christians and Muslims because that happens to be the makeup of the of the respective groups. But at base, it's an economic issue uh, or a climate issue, environment issue. Um, and similar things could be said in in most places in terms of uh, conflict between, um, as I say, purportedly between Christians and Muslims. It's usually about some other economic, social, political issue and the um, the religious is what overlays it. And that's certainly true in Pakistan too. It's, uh, the Christians uh, have a very um, hard life. Uh, they experience discrimination and prejudice. Um, but it's, it's somewhat based in um, caste prejudice of of the Hindu subcontinent um, rather than explicitly Islamic things, but the the overlay sort of fits under the social grouping, so that's it's, it's perceived then as being Christian Muslim. Father McInerney made it clear that it wasn't legal questions which motivated him to participate in this proceeding but the matter did go on appeal on a couple of legal points it went up to the court of appeal in victoria on questions about the interpretation of section 8 of the racial and religious tolerance act and that provision is the one which says that a person must not on the ground of religious belief or activity of another person or class of persons engage in conduct that incites hatred against that other person or class of persons. And basically the Court of Appeal held that the tribunal hadn't properly considered the question of the audience to which this seminar, the Catch the Fire Ministry seminar, was directed. The Court of Appeal said that in making a decision about whether conduct incited hatred, you had to take into account the audience to which the conduct was directed. So here you had to take into account the audience of the seminar delivered by that group. And secondly, the Court of Appeal said that uh, in considering hatred and its connection to religious beliefs, that the important question was, would the people who attended the seminar with the people to whom the impugned conduct was directed experienced hatred based on religious beliefs. That is, it didn't matter what actuated the Catch the Fire Ministries group to deliver their seminar. As a matter of law, it didn't matter whether the Catch the Fire Ministries group felt hatred based on religious beliefs towards people of the Islamic faith. The question was, would the people who attended at and heard that seminar be incited to hatred which was based on religious belief, particularly in this case um, the religious belief of Muslims. And for those two reasons, the Court of Appeal quashed the tribunal decision and sent it back for rehearing. 
And in the end, the Islamic Council and the other parties settled. And Father McEnany talked briefly to me about that. As you went into this case, did you have any sense of what the legal framework was that your evidence was being given in the context of? Had you had you thought in any detail about that? No, I'm 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 not a lawyer. I'm not uh, familiar with uh, the the uh, the statutes in relation to this vilification case. Um, but I was. Uh, invited to participate and having looked at the material I, I felt as uh, as a citizen and as a Christian um, I had an obligation to uh, give witness in 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 favor of my fellow citizens who were being misrepresented uh, and in this case it happened to be Muslims who were being misrep misrepresented so I was a, a Christian and a, a Catholic priest uh, giving witness in a tribunal, a court of law, on behalf of Muslims. Uh, to me, it was a, a civic and a Christian duty and a matter of fairness. Uh, so it wasn't, I wasn't approaching it in terms of the legality, so I don't claim competence in that area, but I was approaching it, as I say, from a civic and Christian uh, duty to fellow citizens. I would just make the general statement that applies that whenever we talk about other people, whether it's other uh, ethnic groups or religious groups or social groups, in injustice and uh, you know, as Christians, we have an obligation to be fair and representative in what we say. And so that was very much what was animating you, much more than the um, the the legal uh, argument. And of course, there was some considerable period of time between when you gave evidence and when the decision came down. Did you did you continue to follow it closely? Were you waiting for the decision to come down, or or had you left it behind you once your evidence had concluded? I was interested to to hear what the outcome was. Of course. Uh, and then I, I know that the uh, the outcome was was challenged and, and uh, overturned, um, and then the final outcome consequent to that was that the groups uh, did uh, meet in in some form of mediation. I don't know the details, but they did agree uh, on a common statement, which. Um, sort of summed up as far as I recall the, that uh, you know the, the right to be um, for robust discussion about religious matters and also the, the responsibility to be um, and again this is not the legal wording I don't recall that uh, but basically about being fair and representative I think I asked Father McEnany about what he thought about statutes of this sort, uh, racial and religious vilification statutes, which of course continue to be really controversial in Australian public life. Do you have any view about statutes of this sort, uh, vilification statutes, and, and how they fit in 
with that larger moral obligation of um, fairness and accuracy and respect? I would say that they are complex. It's not easy um, to actually word uh, a type of law which can be useful in this regard. Uh, I know that some people would say um, there is no need for laws, that the, uh, the, the racial laws are sufficient. Um, there were others who would argue and say, no, there has to be a specific law to protect the rights of religious minorities. Um, I personally incline to the latter position. I think there is a case to be made for a law which protects minorities from vilification, but it, it has to be very carefully framed because um, the law is actually a secular instrument and it is not necessarily attuned to the nuances of uh, religious statements and religious sensibilities. And that was also evidenced in the process of this particular case as well. Uh, there were some statements made uh, by either party that were not necessarily uh, you know, fully, shall we say, accurate. Um, even in the judgment, uh, there were issues there, I think. So it is very difficult for a secular instrument to sit in judgment on religious claims. Uh, but I still think uh, there is a need for a law to protect people from being uh, attacked or vilified or misrepresented in ways that they just... It makes life more difficult for them as fellow citizens in Australian society. I mean, we certainly have it in terms of racism. We have it in terms of, and that's where anti-Semitism can fit under the racist laws. But in terms of religious, uh, and there are times when things very offensive are said about um, Christianity as well. And, and Christians have a right to, as well to defend themselves. Uh, but it, ultimately, it's a, it's a question of citizenship. It's not a religious question. Um, so how do you actually manage that is quite a complex legal question then. But it's, it's worth pursuing because of the value of, of protection for the rights of citizens at the same time as respecting the freedom of expression. But freedom of expression is not absolute. We can't say whatever we like about whoever we like. We are accountable for our speech. Father McInerney compared statutes of this sort to the law of defamation, which constrains our right to free speech. You can say what you like, but you're held accountable for it. Uh, and I think there's some parallel there. Yes, we are free to discuss religious matters, uh, but if we're going to be inaccurate and misrepresentative and uh, offensive, uh, there comes a point when a line is crossed and, and if people are vilified and made to look ridiculous and if they're made to uh, be subject to further discrimination and prejudice by the wider society, they need a legal right to protect themselves. Or to be protected by this, you know, by civil society. I mean, that's 
that's what we are as a multi-religious, multicultural, multi-ethnic society. You know, we have to be able to get along with each other, with our rights protected and respecting each other. And lastly, of course, I asked Father Patrick McInerney to reflect on this sometimes difficult experience these years on. How did he feel about it? Do, do you do you um, look back at it with a sense of um, unhappiness because the the cross examination experience was unpleasant and and it was a it was a convoluted proceeding which didn't necessarily result in a in in a final judgment for the Islamic Council or 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 do you feel that the living out of that commitment to plurality was was worth doing and you're content that that's what you did? I would say I'm I'm. Um, happy and proud that I stood up for a principle that I believed in, that I did so as a Christian and as a Catholic priest, uh, that I gave witness on behalf of Muslims in a uh, tribunal, in a court of law. Now, I would say that's uh, possibly unique in Australia, if not more broadly. Um, but it's it's a matter of uh, the respect that we owe to people with whom we differ on matters of religion and matters of belief, um, and they are enduring differences. They're not they're not things that are going to be reconciled. Um, but that's how a multi-religious society has to function: that we cooperate on values that we have in common um, and we respect each other across our differences. So I have no regret about having been involved. Um, I'm glad and, and proud to have sort of stood up as a, a person of principle on this. Uh, yes, it was difficult. It was hard at the time. It was stressful at the time. Um, so you know, I don't relish the memory of that experience, but I'm, I'm still very glad that I did it. Great to talk to Patrick McInerney about this interesting litigation in an area of law which is still so hotly contested, this question of the prohibition on speech of certain types which incites hatred also really interesting i thought to talk to somebody who wasn't the central player in one of these pieces of public interest litigation who was drawn into something that perhaps he didn't have a full grasp of before he took the witness stand thanks so much to father McInerney for talking to me you can once again find the podcast on the website www.inthatcasepodcast.com you can find it also on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Townsend Joel C. I look forward to joining you on the next episode of In That Case. <laughs>